Good morning, church. Let's stand up on our feet, get ready to worship. Got uh, got a little something for us. Today is Palm Sunday. If any of you are following the church calendar, we just mainly know that as the Sunday before Easter. And it's we call it Palm Sunday because it's the, it's when Jesus entered the city and he was received to praise and kids laying palm fronds at his at the donkey's feet as he came into the city. And then it's, you know, that juxtaposed against what happened at the end of that week is, I mean, it's a big part of our, um, part of our Easter tradition. But um, in that sense, like this is the Sunday of praise. Like this is the Sunday to call him King. And so I'm gonna read Psalm 145 over us this morning. And uh, stick with me. It's 21 verses, but uh, we're just going to have some Bible this morning before we worship. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and ki- in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now we're gonna, we're gonna, praise the Lord with our with our songs now but all those words echo throughout all of the praise that we're going to sing to him this morning so I encourage you as we begin um, just lay your palm frond down as the king enters the city and let's praise him this morning Conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing 
with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise, let praise arise. We'll see you break down every wall, we'll watch the giants fall. But fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift him high. With our creation cry, God, we Calms the storm inside of me. Let it arise. Let faith arise. Let it rise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Because fear cannot survive when we break you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Our creation cry, God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Oh, with me. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. Come on, lift this up, church. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. Giants fall, the fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift you high. With our creation cry, God, we praise you. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall, the fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of
were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry and from north to south and east to west we'd hear christ be magnified Were the whole earth echoing His evidence, His name would burst from sea and sky. Oh, from rivers to the mountain tops, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Oh, Christ be magnified in me. When every creature finds its inmost melody And every human heart its native cry Oh, then in one enraptured hymn of praise We'll sing Christ, be magnified cross brings transformation you can't hang me there with you cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life and if I join you in your suffering then I'll join you when you rise and when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints my heart will still be singing all my song will be the same Oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Oh, Christ be magnified 
Magnified in our church, Lord. Be magnified in our lives, Lord. Lord, if this is as easy as it ever is again to stand up here and praise you. church but when we started off our service that reading and talking about Palm Sunday what what felt like victory a week later felt a lot like defeat <laughs> and the people who you know there's two groups of those people that were there praising him you've got the group that was with the group shouting crucify him and there was the group that was faithful and afraid for what that meant for them and so to to sing something like if if the cross brings transformation you can hang me there with you and if that puts me in the fire I'll rejoice because you're there too and we're hopefully singing that much more figuratively than they probably were thinking it there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anxiety about where our country is right now and what that means for Christianity and man if it's if this is as easy as it ever is again I won't bow to idols I'll stand strong and worship you and if that puts me in the fire I'll rejoice I'm gonna sing build my life but it's a song we're not singing this morning. There's a song called Fountains by a guy named Josh Baldwin and the bridge says, all my fountains are in you and all my hope is built on your love. And we're about to sing, I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. Lord, just open our eyes for that love to be enough for us to stand in the fire to hang there with you Lord open up just continue to open up our eyes to how worth it your love is how firm a foundation that is
how it's a fountain overflowing for us, Lord. Build our faith, build our resolve, Lord, in that love. Let that love be the foundation of everything that comes out of this building, everything that comes out of this room, Lord, is all built on your love for us and what it meant for you to love us and what it means for us to love you, Lord. Church, as we go into our time of giving, we'll have buckets up front here. There's a bucket at the back of this room. There's a bucket at the front of the building as you walk in. You can give online. You can give on the, there's envelopes under the seats. Um, You can give however you, you need to give there. But just base that in his love too. You first loved me, Lord. You've given us so much, Lord. All the ways that you bless us. Let us just, let's give like you're giving, Lord. Let us be the hands and feet, Lord. Let us bless our community with these gifts, Lord. Just let us be Jesus to the community around us. Be hope to the community around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you, say holy, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me sing that again worthy of every song Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Oh, 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you.
my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken on Wednesday nights we've been studying the the whole book of Matthew started several months ago and I didn't plan it this way God did but we ended up at the last week the week before last and in the middle of the crucifixion this past week and when I was in college and uh, I have an undergraduate degree in Bible and We studied Isaiah and we focused so much on the end of Isaiah, especially chapter 52 and chapter 53. And in chapter 53, it's called the suffering servant passage. And um, I just want to read. I know we've read a lot of Bible this morning. Sorry, y'all. In chapter 53, it's called the suffering servant passage. And Isaiah tells about a coming deliverer that was going to come. Just like Moses was a deliverer, but it's talking about Jesus. And it's talking about Jesus in a way, 800 years earlier, what was going to be. And it describes the crucifixion in in chapter 53. It says, who has believed our report about this this sin-bearing suffering, sin-bearing servant? Who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In fact, he's despised and rejected by men. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. On the night that Jesus was arrested, his disciples, Peter has said, oh man, no matter what happens, Lord, I won't ever leave you. In fact, Peter ends up cutting a guy's ear off. Peter's Peter's willing to stand up. And then about two or three hours later, he's cussing and saying, I don't know, I don't even know who that guy is. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That's what Peter did. Man, I'll tell you, I'll confess right here, there's been a times that I've not esteemed him. But he's always faithful. There's another How Firm a Foundation song that we sing. So why would he fail now? He won't. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are. See, that's what Peter thought he knew what the circumstances were going to be. And he just wasn't ready. But thank, thank God, it doesn't matter. Because he's always ready. Even if we're not, he's always ready. Y'all be seated. Man, we have... uh, Michael Ann. Most people know her. They may not know her husband, Andrew. Um, And uh, we're glad to have them here this morning visiting with us from the Stillwater campus and I guess that's is that home for you Michael Ann okay Andrew Um, the other announcement is happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Cruz Jackson happy birthday to you I I knew he would appreciate that so I just outed him right there I want to I want to 
I want you to remember that this week is Holy Week. And so at noon every day during this next week, we'll meet at the Christian Church. Is that right? The Christian Church, which is on the north side of town. It's a block from the square, isn't it? Yeah, that's the north side of town. On on Manville. So, yeah, just look it up. The Christian Church. And we'll meet there for lunchtime and I have a short message. Tomorrow at noontime, I will bring the message. And our church is going to be serving food. So talk to Pam if you can help with that. Um, We, what? Don't talk to Pam if you can help with that. Talk to Pam so you can help with that. Is that better? Okay. I can go home now. Um, And then, uh, this is big, this is big. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and it's always a big Sunday in the life of our church. Um, I'm praying that this year, it's, it's, let's get back to normal. We're going to have pictures like we always do, and it'll be awesome pictures that you can make your profile picture on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And we will have an Easter egg hunt. All the kids say, woo! And then, uh, well, it's just going to be fun. And then the, the, last, the last weekend of the month is going to be a big uh, holiday. It's going to be a big thing here at church. We're going to have stuff outside. We're going to eat here after service and all those good things. All right? I want you to take five minutes and come. 1 Corinthians 15, concluding the series on the gospel. We're not concluding talking about the gospel. Uh, We're going to talk about the gospel for a long time. Um, But... There, in concluding this series, there's some really important things, I, I believe. If we can see this, that, that many things in the kingdom of God will be unlocked in our lives. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, take me just a little bit to get there. To kind of set, a, a, again, a little bit of this frame. Uh, a story from uh, our past in our country. On January 1st, 1863... Uh, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And what this was, was a proclamation that all the slaves in the southern states would be set free. That news had to be taken and proclaimed throughout all the cities and towns and farms in the south. And so heralds were sent out who proclaimed to the citizens, especially slaves, that something had happened. Something had happened, and this event would change their lives forever. A brand new future of possibilities would open up to them. They declared to them because of what someone else had done, they were set free. And that this present moment is now transformed for them. What had been bondage and slavery is now one of freedom. However, there was a space between the Emancipation Proclamation and how freedom for the slaves would be fully realized. This proclamation was signed and declared about halfway through the Civil War. There would still be another two years of the Civil War. And so this announcement, this announcement of this emancipation was scandalous. It was scandalous to those who were slave owners or allies of the Confederate States and caused a tension with the present moment 
between those who received the news as true and lived in that reality and those who denied or rebelled against the news, resisting this new reality of freedom for those who had been enslaved. Then in January 1865, this is about four months before the end of the Civil War, Congress sent to the state legislatures for ratification what would become the 13th Amendment, banning slavery in all U.S. states and territories. The amendment was ratified by the legislatures of enough states by December 6th, 1865, and proclaimed 12 days later on December 18th, 1865. This is a gospel story. It's a story of good news. And again, keeping with the framework of what qualifies as news, it's an announcement about an event. Something has happened. And that event has a context or backstory. There are things involved that isn't just the event itself, it's what's surrounding the event. And then there's also a new future that emerges from this good news. And then a tension in the present moment, a transformation of the present moment between what has happened and what will happen. There was nearly, it was almost three years between the Emancipation Proclamation that declared a new reality and nearly three years later before it was completely ratified and codified in law. And so you have a past event and a future event and both of those events have a context and a backstory. One of the bloodiest times in our history and then a tension in the present. You could say two realities are coexisting in the present moment. That one day those two realities will be completely resolved. But in the present, it's a tension. It's a tension between those who live in that new reality and those who choose to remain in the previous reality. And that's the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That something has happened, namely the resurrection. And because of what's happened, there's also something going to happen. We're going to pay a little attention to that, but truthfully, I'm too passionate about that subject for me to only take half of one sermon to talk about. So I'll just state it and then we'll move on because we're going to talk about the present. Um, So there's future, but there's also a, a new present reality that is, quite honestly, tension, maybe even contentious between those who live in that new reality and those who choose to remain in this reality. Okay, so summarizing the gospel again and again and again, because the tendency for us to define the gospel is by some one atonement theory, um, some theology or philosophy, or just some advice, not news, not what the not what the New Testament considers the gospel. The gospel is the full story of Jesus the Messiah. God has vindicated Jesus as Israel's messianic king. That's what Christ means. By raising him from the dead and promoted him to the highest authority in heaven and earth. And because Jesus is king of the world, everyone is called to believe in him, trust in him, and follow him. In order to live right now in the reality of the kingdom of God as he did. When I choose to follow and obey Jesus, his story transforms my story. His reality transforms my reality. 
I'm connected to him. Specifically in baptism, we're connected to him in his death and resurrection in such a way that his victory becomes my victory. Well, the way the Apostle Paul described it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, is that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I talked last week about that, so I don't want to go too much there. But what I want to continue to establish, and this is the way the gospel works, is because Jesus, his gospel, um, the gospel Jesus preached about the kingdom of God, it opens up to us a vision for an entirely different reality. The reality of the kingdom of God. But the reality of the kingdom of God is not always visible in this reality. And the way the Apostle Paul here is tying these things together is he says there is a domain of darkness that people live in. You can cross-reference that with Ephesians chapter 2, specifically the first three verses, being dead in our sins and trespasses, living under the governance of the prince of the power of the air. That There's a reality that is a domain of darkness that when we choose to only live in the flesh and by our own idolatry and sin and rebellion we're under that domain but there is a new reality available to us the kingdom of God that God is in charge and there is a king of that kingdom king Jesus and so just a very very simple a very simple visualization is two parallel lines one the kingdom of God that's readily available to us And then the reality that is this space-time continuum, that we live in the flesh, so to speak. That we live in this reality. And the kingdom of God is available to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. But we have to learn how to live in and from that reality. And we can only know that by the one who established who established that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And when we live in that reality, we become a vessel for that reality. And that's where those lines can and do intersect. Where the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God becomes available and present and manifested in this reality. All examples of people being born again. All examples of healing. Salvation. All of those are little touch points where the kingdom of God has invaded this reality. But those don't just happen accidentally or momentarily or spontaneous. They happen when we tune in and attune to that reality that is available to us that we can live in right now as we follow Jesus. That's why the gospel brings a necessity for discipleship. That what N.T. Wright would say is that, well, actually Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, if, if the preaching of the gospel does not naturally lead to making disciples, then you're not preaching the same gospel Jesus and the apostles preached. So I don't want to be guilty of that. Okay. <clears throat> so trying to pull this as much together as possible with future and present. Let me read you just one little section that establishes the future event 
that's going to take place. And it's in the same context as the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at last week, first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 15, where the apostle Paul says, this is the gospel and I'm giving it to you as I've received it as of the first importance. This is the most important thing. And then he defines what the gospel is. Some scholars will say that the gospel that he is communicating goes all the way down to verse 28. So you can read that whole thing from verse 3 to 28 uh, that some argue is the entirety of the gospel. We are not going to do that because that thing is jam-packed full of a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to read you a few verses just close towards the end, okay? But remembering last week, looking at the first couple verses, that the, the, the bare necessities of the gospel is that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. There's backstory and something's happened. He died for our sins. He was buried. It wasn't just like a, a, a pseudo death. It wasn't a, a half death or a resuscitation. He was buried as if he's not coming back. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He was resurrected in accordance with the scriptures. So there's backstory to, to resurrection. And then he appeared, that it isn't just some, you know, mystical experience. Jesus even said, hey, listen, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. I'm hungry. Give me some fish. Okay, so he appeared. So that's the bare necessities. And you keep flowing down. There's also some things said about where this whole thing is going. That there's a future to this gospel. What has happened in his death, burial, and resurrection but something will happen, the future, okay? And so we want to hold both of those together. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. What does that imply? Other fruits. <laughs> More fruits. He's only the first and the prototype, but we'll get there. Those who have fallen asleep, I just dearly appreciate how the New Testament writers are very hesitant to describe believers who have passed away as dead, but merely fallen asleep, which has an implication as well. If you fall asleep, you're going to wake up. Okay, but then look at the next verse. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming. Everybody say coming. 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 Christ at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The emphasis is not where people go when they die. The emphasis is that they're fine Christ is coming back. Okay. Verse 24. Then comes the end. 
Oh man, do we have an obsession with the end. That's why I'm too passionate about this to like preach half a sermon on it. We'll, we'll circle back to this. I'm just not ready to make everyone mad yet. So I'm sidestepping all of the debates today. Okay. Okay, then comes the end. So we're talking about the end. And what's, what's important about the end? When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Okay. So my summary, brief summary, avoiding all the debates, everybody's opinion. The one thing we all have to agree is just the bare bones of being a Christian. What, whatever the bottom threshold is of what we believe to, to be a, a believer, what we call a believer, to believe in Jesus would be the Apostles' Creed. It establishes the bare essentials about what we all have to agree with, regardless of the stream of faith, regardless of the different, there's like 30-something thousand denominations. You had no idea how much we could disagree. But like just being a Christian requires, you say like the, the Apostles' Creed, I, believe, I can believe that. We believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ. Is only Okay, so you got like, thir- I think it's 13, 13 statements that we all agree on. When you say, I don't believe that, great, you're not a believer then. Right. So we're inviting you into faith. Okay, so are you with me? All right, so the one thing we all have to agree on is that Jesus is coming back. Because in the Apostles' Creed, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. That's, he's coming back, and, and, and that's important to establish, Okay. Because all the, the debates and the disagreement and the strong opinions that we often split churches over is all the things that lead up to the end, which is not non-negotiable. We can disagree on all those things and still be brothers and sisters. If I, I, like, I avoid it because I don't want to point out all the ways we all disagree and then everybody leave because... They don't hold your pet eschatology. I don't know if I will hold. I, I probably do not hold your pet eschatology. Okay? We might agree on 50%, 75%. We might agree on 25%. I don't know. But we can disagree and still be brothers and sisters. Okay? Okay, so there's the end. We, we done with that? All right, we established it. I'll make you mad later, and we'll talk about all the ways we disagree. All right, so for today, the end. All right, so the end. Here's, here's the absolute essential of what you need to know about the end. Because he says it, all right? It's a part of the gospel story. There's a future. And at the end, he says, Christ the firstfruits, then all who belong to Christ, all right? So the way you can kind of understand it is like this. What God the Father did for Jesus on Easter morning, he will do for all who belong to Christ, and in the process, all the cosmos. What, what will later be called in 2 Peter 3 and in Revelation 21, 
new heavens and new earth. New creation. Okay? That is the end. All right? And that has way more emphasis in Scripture in the New Testament. I can give you ten times the amount of emphasis the New Testament puts on that, the resurrection of the body, than on where people go when they die. Okay? So it's not that that isn't in existence, it's just that it's not the emphasis. Where you go when you die is never the emphasis. There's like three verses in the New Testament about it. So again, it's true, it exists, it's just never the emphasis. The emphasis is on where is this whole thing going? That Jesus is like an early deposit of what God's going to do for all creation. And becomes the prototype. And so where we're going, part of the good news, he's coming back. And when he comes back, death is annihilated, destroyed, no longer exists. So that's why you can disagree about all that leads up to that and still be brothers and sisters because in the end, death loses, Jesus wins. Okay? And that's where this whole thing is going. That is a future and it's going to happen. It, 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 the, the reality of the resurrection is as true about the future as the resurrection of Easter morning is true about the past. So that's the future that's happening. But we're not there yet. So there are very, very small, little tiny slivers of people that say the resurrection has already happened. And guess what? The New Testament has already talked to them thousands of years ago and says, nope, because <laughs> death is not destroyed. That's the end. All right. So we live in the tension, the present moment between that. So if you remember one of the stories I gave in the first message to just get us in the context of a gospel is the quote-unquote gospel of Augustus in Rome, the Roman gospel, the context that we have our New Testament, uh, the New Testament gospels. The Roman gospel, remember, was there were 13 years of civil war, and it was bloody and deadly. It was horrific. And Octavian, later renamed Augustus, won the decisive victory in the Battle of Actium against Mark Antony and Cleopatra, okay? Well, it took him about two years to come back to Rome, okay? That's just the way ancient empires work. He had to go establish the empire in Egypt and get everything right and make sure that his totalitarian rule was established everywhere in the empire. So they sent out evangelists to go tell the good news that Augustus has won the decisive victory. And that now peace and salvation and justice will come to the world through Augustus's reign. And those who are in the middle, if you think you're waiting in Rome, getting anxiously awaiting news from the front line, because if it's civil war, who's going to win? If you, if you were friends of the Caesar family, or you had been an ally of Octavian, then you would receive that news as good. If you had allied with 
Mark Antony, or were a part of the conspiracy to murder Julius Caesar, you would not receive that as good news. And you would have to decide, how are you going to live with that reality? You cannot believe it, and then it will come to you very, you know, within two years, it's going to happen to you. You cannot believe it. Or you could believe it, but not know how to relate to it. Or you could be like Herod the Great and politic his way. Herod the Great had allied with Mark Antony. And then when Augustus becomes Caesar, Herod manipulates and says, don't pay attention to who I allied with. Pay attention to my devotion to, my, to who I allied with. And I give that devotion to you. That's the Herod the Great that murdered the babies when Jesus was born. Okay, all right. So you, so you see how, how, how the past event, future event creates a tension in the present. How am I going to live in this re- new reality? Do I believe it? Do I not believe it? How do I relate to it? Do I live in alignment with it? Or have I resisted it? And that's the way the gospel works. The gospel of Jesus Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. It's at hand. And you have to choose how to relate to it. My encouragement to you is you repent and believe. You say, whatever my agenda was, it's done. (laughs) Whoever my service was to, it's over. It's now given to King Jesus. And I will believe the gospel. I will align my life to his reality, his kingdom domain. And that's what's going to happen in the future. Because see, what's going to happen in the future, I don't know why I've made my right hand the future, but it looks like you guys are the future. <laughs> I don't know, that's what timelines work. Anyway, um, on, on video, that makes absolutely no sense. I'm just walking back and forth on the stage. All right. Um, the future, again, from 1 Corinthians 15... The future is that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Specifically, those who belong to Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus will receive what God the Father did for him. A new body, a resurrected body that sin and death have no connection to. No bearing on, no authority over. Death has no connection to the resurrected body of Jesus. He defeated death, and now death and any residue of death cannot touch the body of Jesus. And so the future is going to be the end. We're going to receive that, and that's when the kingdom is fully established in all of reality. That the kingdom of God reality becomes all reality. And Jesus reigns in the process bringing all rule, authority, and power under that reign. Under that authority. Or the way John the Revelator would say it in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. That there will be a definitive point at the end when... The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Where every kingdom, 
Every domain, every rule is completely surrendered under the rule of Christ. All of it. Every rule. That's what we can debate about what happens between now and the end. But that is the end. That's going to happen. The resurrection of the body, new creation, and all kingdoms of all human history are completely surrendered to King Jesus. Okay? And so how do we live in the present with that future? You anticipate that future by choosing now to surrender your kingdom. We choose now to live in the reality of the kingdom of God, surrendering our kingdom to his reign. He will bring all rule, authority, and power under his reign. We choose to yield to it to him willfully now. We live yielded, submitted, surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. That Jesus is king and that means he's not just future king, he's present king. And just because I can't see that reality with these eyes doesn't mean it's not real. The kingdom reality is real. And we live in that reality by repenting. Not just apologizing. We change the way we think in accordance to that reality. Jesus is in charge. Okay. Revelation 4. If you get nothing today, get this. Okay. Revelation 4. <laughs> Are you still on edge about end times theology? Okay. <laughs> so we stand in this messy middle between the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and the devil on the cross and in the resurrection. And the final victory of resurrection and new creation. And so the present reality, Jesus is king of the world. And the future reality that we anticipate is all the kingdoms of all time, of all humans, have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the tension now is living in between. And we can choose right now how to relate and how to live in that reality. We can ignore it. We can pretend like it doesn't exist. We can not believe it. We can scoff at it. It can be scandalous. People could not care. That doesn't seem to change anything. I can't see it. I can't experience it. Then it must not be true. That's what's going to happen. You, you preach the gospel to people and they just won't care. That can happen. That's why we believe in the spirit of God working on people's hearts and not try to take his job for ourselves and shove it down people's throat. Don't do that. Please don't bludgeon people with the gospel. <laughs> we just simply announce it and then be vessels for it. And so we, we, just, we choose right now, and all humans are to get a choice. That's why we announce the good news, is to give everybody a reasonable chance to choose wisely. 
And there's going to be some people who reject it, some people who ignore it, some people who don't care. Some people will rebel against it, hating the idea that someone else is in charge. That's why a lot of people just don't want to believe. It's not that they can't believe, it's they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe that there's someone else in charge. They don't want to believe that that person in charge will hold them accountable. And so they're living in one reality. And we have to learn how to be attentive to and live in and from that other reality, the kingdom of God. Okay, if, right now, if, in this present moment, between those two events, if the veil between heaven and earth were open... And we could see clearly that reality. In some way we would see something similar to what John sees. And I want to show you this. we just read from a few verses from Revelation 4. Just look at starting in verse 1. And this I looked. So John is getting this vision of heaven. The heavens, the kingdom. He's getting a vision of the kingdom of God. His eyes are being opened to the kingdom of God. So for him, the veil that is, that is veiling heaven and earth from earth being able to see the heavens clearly, that veil has been removed for John. And he's seeing. And so what does he see? He says, as I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. There is a throne, and there is someone who is seated on that throne. And we know him to be King Jesus. Jump down to verse 6. It's a new paragraph. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. And he, these guys are wild. Like, it, it, like, you just imagine, you just imagine John trying to describe this, and it's, it's, it's a trip. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And like, and like, the way, like, you think of it, and it's like, could you not be more clear? No. No, he couldn't. So, like, imagine someone from the Dark Ages. So, we're talking, like, you know, in the 800s. Being pulled out of that time and being in our present time. They have no categories for the vast majority of what we see on a day-to-day basis. Like, the idea of shaping metal into anything other than swords is just like, like light, you have sun, and you have a lamp. That's their only point of reference for light. And we have all kinds of light. Like LED walls? What is an LED wall? Well, it's... it's it, it, like, and so I feel this every time like, my kids ask me something. Like, what is this, Dad? And it's like, you don't have the intelligence for me to explain this to you. I don't say that out loud. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm like, okay, so if you're going to understand this, then I have to explain this. What's that? Well, then I got to explain this. What's that? So like, so that's like, like, I I got some mercy on John who's seeing things he has no categories for. He's doing his best, poor guy. 
just, just for the record, I think that's how Jesus talks to me. It's like, listen, if I explain this to you, you don't have the intelligence to grasp this. It's like, okay, well then what can you explain to me? Okay, all right, so, because it just starts with they're full of eyes in front and behind. Like, that's weird. Okay, let's just skip the description and go down to what the four living creatures are doing. Okay, the four living creatures, each of them, here we go again, six wings are full of eyes all around and within. But here's, here's, here's what you see. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay, holy is the only adjective used in threes to describe the Lord. Lots of adjectives are used to describe the Lord. Holy is the only one and it's twice in scripture. Holy, holy, holy. There is none, none like our God. And look at this though, what happens? And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, Jesus, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, so this is another one of those, this is, okay, don't, it doesn't need much explanation, just there are, there are human representatives representing all humanity at the throne, Okay? And those 24 elders, what do they do? They fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things And by your will, they existed and were created. In this vision, when we see what's happening around the throne, believing there is a throne and there is one seated on the throne, And what happens when people see the one seated on the throne? Well, there's worship. There's honor for his name. And then there's this response that that the human representatives have. They fall down on their face and worship and cast their crowns saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Worthy are you? What is he worthy of? Is it just devotion or adoration? Yes. But he's worthy of our kingdom. Casting crown, the crown would represent a kingdom. Crown is nothing on its own. What it, it's what it represents. It represents authority. It represents kingdom. That whatever kingdom this human has represented in a crown When I see Jesus as king, the response, it's not mine. You are worthy. Whatever my kingdom is, 
One day, it's going to be fully immersed in the kingdom of God. And so I anticipate that moment by casting my crown before the Lord and giving him honor. He's worthy are you, O Lord and God, who lives forever and ever to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power forever. That's how we live in the present moment. That my kingdom isn't mine. My authority, whatever it is, isn't mine. My influence, whatever it is, isn't mine. My possessions, whatever they are, they're not mine. My life is not mine. I am not my own. My body is not mine. One day it's going to be completely recreated in resurrection and the down payment has been paid for this body. It's not mine. I don't get to choose what I do with it. It's submitted. It's yielded. It's cast to the throne. That's the, that's the present moment we live in. So in Philippians 2, this, is a, this was also a, a, a poem uh, that was circulating around and Paul, the apostle, kind of re-articulates a bit of it. In Philippians 2, uh, he encourages the Philippian Christians um, to think like Jesus. So when we think repent and believe the gospel, repent means to change the way we think. And he says something approximating that in Philippians 2. Look at verse 5. He says, have this mind. Have this mindset. So if we're repenting, we're changing our mind. What are we changing our mind to? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Like you don't have to grab this mindset. It's already yours in Christ. And then what is this mindset Jesus had that he gives to us? As though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's always the first sign of us in rebellion to God's kingdom is when we're grasping. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as a result, the next verse, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, Every knee bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth. All creation, top to bottom. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee's going to bow. Every single one of them. Every human throughout all of human history, 
every human that has ever existed, every spiritual being that has ever existed, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who's actually in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge. And so we just anticipate that by bowing our knee in advance. But think about what it means to bow the knee and and our tongue confess. It means I am not my own. My mindset is that I can't grasp for things in life. I empty myself. See, living in that reality is not always obvious and easy. It means I got to empty myself and not be grasping. And I need to become obedient, even if it costs me my life. Obedient unto death. And it might not be physical death, it might be death of your agenda. It could mean death of your priorities. Could be the death of your desires. And that's why you're going to live in a tension because there's numerous people who just will not want that. And one day the choice will be removed. And that's why the Lord will honor that choice. He'll honor the choice that people will make right now and give them what they want, which is to not be in his kingdom. But we choose right now. And another way the Apostle Paul will say it in Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holy and acceptable. And and he even phrases it, it is your spiritual worship. So again, if the veil were removed and we see the throne, we would see all authority and dominion and power being cast, surrendered to Jesus. And so what we do right now and our gathering for worship is a way of participating in that throne room worship. And that is to just, I do not belong to me. I surrender. Whatever my authority is, is not mine. Because there is one who is worthy. There is one who is worthy of my life. There is, there is one who is worthy of my sacrifice. My body, it's not mine. And this is discipleship. Day after day after day, hour upon hour, I am not mine. I live in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, my kingdom is his kingdom. I surrender it to him. What I have is not mine. It's his who I am is not mine it's his that's that's how we live day after day it's not mine discipleship it's death over and over everything that I think is mine it needs to die it's not mine it belongs to the one who gave his life for me 
and part of how we live in the present, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live in alignment to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And my life becomes an answer to the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth, right here, right now, in my life, as it is in heaven. Our life is supposed to be the continual touching point where heaven's reality of the kingdom of God is invading this reality. And as you and I live as surrendered vessels to the kingdom of God, we hasten the end. We hasten. We, it's like we call forth the end where all of this is sealed and done. And there's new heavens and new earth and new resurrected bodies where we, where the Bible ends in Revelation 22, verse 6, it isn't just he that reigns forever and ever. It says, and we shall reign forever and ever. And so the way we reign right now, we live surrendered to the king. That's the intended result of the gospel. It's not just prayers that get prayed. It's not just spiritual experiences. All that happens. It's a life. It's a life of surrender. It's a whole life. And that's who I want to be. That's who I want my family to be. It's what I want to raise my children to be. It's, it's, what, it's how I want to lead. It's how I want to lead others. It's the kind of church I want us to be. We don't, we don't exist for ourselves. Whatever we have is not ours. It belongs to the king. I'm going to go ahead and release our campuses. And I'm going to just steward what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in your campus at this moment. Right. I was a counselor for 20 years and I met a guy named Grady. Grady. He might be listening this morning. <laughs> he called himself one arm Grady um, because he had a car wreck and his arm was torn off in the car wreck. And when I first met him, he was having a hard time because he was living in the in-between. His life had kind of stopped and he was hoping for a day that he'd be able to get a prosthetic arm. And a lot of things had to fall in place for that to happen. And I developed a, a major kind of cornerstone of my counseling philosophy and it was life on pause. Because, and it happens for all of us at certain times, different things happen and we, we live with this a button gets pushed and suddenly we're on pause and we're waiting for stuff to happen so we can start living again. And I've thought of that as Jacob was talking about the in-between because that's what it is. Jesus has spent three years with his disciples and they were so focused on when he was coming back. When we'll be, and they, they ask him the night before the last night, they ask him the question, they said, okay, when's that going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? He said, don't worry about that. 
See, they were saying, okay, we're going to push, push pause and then we're just going to wait until that happens. And he had spent three years showing them what to do to make life different right now, not waiting for someday, but what you're going to do about un, un, unpausing things, pushing play again. And he demonstrated things like people being fed, 4,000 people, 5,000 people being fed with, with nothing. With going out in a storm, he sent his disciples forth in a storm that he knew was coming. They knew it was coming too. They had been fishermen. They knew what happened on the Sea of Galilee when, when a front came and fell down. And he sent them ahead in that. And, it, and he goes walking to them on the water. And it says that he would have passed them by. Why would he pass them by? Because he knew that they had everything that they needed to not be on pause, not wait for the storm to pass and, and, and keep on rowing. They had, the, they had within them the power to stop the storm. We're not supposed to wait till something happens one day. We're supposed to be living in the reality that Jacob, how many times did he say reality, real? He said it over and over. And I feel like sometimes as a pastor that I'm trying to encourage people to believe in a fairy tale, to believe in something that's not real. This is real. And I I confess to you that I don't live in the reality of it every day. But I've been in the middle of things happening when they're not supposed to happen like that. When you're in the middle of a storm, you're not supposed to be able to say, peace be still, boom, and it happens. But I've heard some of you guys talk about praying and the, and the tornado goes around your house and doesn't hit it. And, and metaphorically, things like that in our life where we pray and the stuff doesn't happen. That's the reality. And I mean that for every single person that's hearing my voice, whether they're in this room or they're listening on, um, on the internet or whatever it is. God intends for this to be a reality for you right now. That you're, li- that you're not on pause waiting for Jesus to come back one day or you maybe to get to heaven one day. I don't mean maybe. I didn't mean it like that. It, but you're not waiting. It, it's not. There is an in-between time for certain things to happen, but we're supposed to be living in that reality right now. So as we go from this place today... I pray that God reveals that to you, that there's going to be things that happen right in front of you this coming week that make a difference in that way, where you go, oh, that's what he was talking about, that God demonstrates to you what the reality is, that we're not not like poor Grady waiting, life on pause, waiting, waiting for things to start back up again one day but living in that reality right now. Jesus must have been so frustrated with his disciples. When's it going to happen? When's the play? When is it going to, somebody going to push play again? No, live in that reality right now. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we have a hunger for your word, that in, 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 in consuming Scripture, Your Word, every single day, that we'll understand more what that reality looks like. 
I see it. I re- it's being revealed to me every day as I read your word that there's more than what I'm presently experiencing. And God, I pray that you'd show that to me and, and everybody who's hearing me right now. I pray that you'd show it to them that as they push the play button on their own life by just reading your word and eating of it, like the bread of life that Jesus talked about, eating of it every single day to nourish us into a new understanding of what our reality can be if we're living in the kingdom. But that's where miracles happen. That's where our faith is activated to be more than just platitudes, more than just sayings that we say, but a reality that comes in our life that is new. And that when we start living that way, man, uh, people will be changed. People will be transformed by the Jesus in us. Not just because we're good or do something a little bit differently, but because our, our life has such a life to it that everybody wants a part of it. That's our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week. God bless you.